uh, literally, uh, because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to move to my first church. Like, I left uh, my first church in Tabor City about a year ago. I went to a church in Burlington. I came here, and I'm moving to a new church in Cary this July, my fourth church. And who could imagine that? You'd go through this, this journey, and it ended up being at a fourth church for you. So um, today, uh, I want to ask this. Uh, I want to ask this question to you, uh, to start and to begin my sermon. Have you ever found yourself connecting one Bible story with another? I had a moment like that when I read today's story. Here is the scene, and picture this with me. After uh, Jesus was taken up uh, into heaven, the disciples are left uh, behind in the dust, you know, with their like, necks craned back and um, you know, looking into the empty sky. And they probably ask some questions like, oh, what next? What's the next? Or what now? Or something like that. And they may also wonder and, you know, chewing on what they had just heard from Jesus Christ, Jesus' last instruction on the Holy Spirit, and all the great commandments. Then suddenly, two guys in shiny clothes show up and ask this question. Why are you guys, you Galileans, just staring at an empty sky? Why are you looking into that empty sky? Now this part made me remember, made me be reminded of another story, but this time from um, the Gospel of Luke. It's the time when the woman from Galilee at the tomb where Jesus Christ's body uh, was placed. It was the resurrection uh, day, but they didn't know what had happened to them, uh, to, uh, to Jesus' body, what had happened. They didn't know about Jesus' resurrection, but they were just sitting, falling to the ground and crying at the tomb. But interestingly, this time again, what happened? Two men showed up. <laughs> in shiny, uh, like gleaming clothes, and asked this question, why are you looking for a living person among the dead? Why are you looking into the empty tomb? Isn't it interesting? Here are the groups, uh, two groups, one group of Galileans staring at an empty tomb and the other group of Galileans staring into the empty sky. One was at a low of their life, and the other was at a high of their life. They were looking at different things. They were in different situations. But interestingly, both of them were looking into emptiness and nothingness. The emptiness that Jesus had just left behind the emptiness from which Jesus had already moved on, the emptiness from which Jesus had already moved on. Both were looking for God's presence where Jesus used to be with them and, and therefore where they expected to meet Jesus. But there was no Jesus, at least not in the flesh. So let's put ourselves in their shoes a little bit. These faithful followers had been with Jesus uh, from uh, the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. 
And they had to give up everything, their families and their you know, beloved ones, their friends, their jobs, their security. And they even decided to be sojourners between Galilee um, and Jerusalem. You know, I, I travel a lot and how hard it is, I understand, to travel like that, especially in the, in the, um, um, in the world where uh, the empire is you know, dominating. You know, think about when you are traveling when the pandemic uh, was breaking out. Although they left it all behind, however, they could feel a closeness to God through the embodiment of God's presence, which is embodied in the body of Jesus Christ. So they could kind of feel you know, such an intimacy with God and God's uh, presence through the body of Jesus Christ, who, uh, which was eating with them and talking with them and walking with them. But now imagine their struggles when Jesus was no longer with them physically. The absence that Jesus left behind must have, uh, must have created God-sized holes in uh, their hearts. The holes made from what they thought would be God-sized dreams or visions in their lives. The apostles must have expected that they would settle one day in Jerusalem. They would buy a house in Jerusalem, or at least rent, or one bedroom, or something like that. <laughs> Just as I'm looking for, I want to one day buy a house you know, around here, while knowing that it's expensive. You know, however, they could not do that. They could not do that. They could not settle in Jerusalem as they expected because Jesus left. They had hoped that Jesus would restore political, uh, uh, you know, political liberation uh, for Israel, but it didn't happen. But Jesus was taken up into heaven. Friends, can you relate to that feeling that the apostles and the women may feel uh, in these stories? Can you find yourself in the story of the apostles, in the story um, of the woman at the tomb? Have you ever found yourself staring into the void, emptiness, feeling deep emptiness, fear, anxiety, and in wonder and confusion, while not knowing what would be the next, while not knowing what, where you can find God's presence? I bet we have all been there. We have all had times like that when we felt like we hit rock bottom, like losing our friends or beloved ones or parents or even our children. And other times when we, uh, when we uh, faced like broken dreams or visions, when we are amazed. And sometimes we, when, uh, we are very amazed by what you know, this, life, uh, this life has brought uh, to us, but while not knowing what would be the next after this amazing um, gift and blessing for us. When life throws a curveball like this, we are likely to collapse hopelessly, or we are likely to just stand stuck while not knowing what would be the next. Or sometimes we may feel small, or we may feel lost. Or, or sometimes we are tempted to run away. While studying today's text, I uh, read John 20 uh, and 21. 
And um, we, we learned about the story when uh, disciples were gathering in a small room, locked out of the world, like Kiana beautifully preached on that. And, and did you know the, what, what did the disciples do after they met the resurrected body of Jesus Christ? In John 20 and 21, you can, you can see that in, in the Peter says, oh, I'm going to Galilee for fishing. I'm going back to the, my old you know, way of living. And also other disciples you know, wanted to join them. So they probably like, ran away from Jerusalem while not knowing what would be the next. So when did the apostles look into an empty sky? Like, it's kind of interesting to ask, how did they come out of the place? How did they come out of the hill where they look into the empty sky? When the women were, uh, you know, sitting or like uh, falling uh, on the ground uh, where the, t- the tomb was, how did they come out of the place? So that's kind of a very interesting question. What did they need? What did they need at the moment? And interestingly, we can find here, the witnesses were with them. Two men were with them. The woman could not rise up alone unless they met the witnesses who were asking them a question, why are you looking into the empty tomb? The apostles could not leave the place taking, uh, taking their eyes off uh, the sky by themselves. They could not do that unless they met the witnesses, the two men in shiny robe. The witnesses help them see the wider and broader the view of God's reality and presence. When they were at a low, when they were at a high point of their life, they could not see how God also can move horizontally. The witnesses told them God has been already on the move. God has left that place and God is already on the move. And I firmly believe that we need witnesses showing up like these for ourselves, for us as well. As you read anti Wright's, um, you know, quotes in the grounding words, if God's story is a play, uh, I believe Jesus, you know, plays uh, like, you know, a main character role in Act 1, I would say. Act 1, which was written in the Gospel of Luke. And God uh, plays, uh, you know, Jesus plays his role with us, as we were also called to be uh, actors as well, right in the middle of the stage. And when Act 2 begins, Jesus retreats himself from the stage, you know. And Jesus probably moved out uh, of the stage through the door. And just think about if we were actors, you know, just the being left alone on the stage in... And think about you forgot the line. You don't know what to say. <laughs> you read what, uh, what, what God has, you know, um, instructed us to say and speak and share and eat or something. But anyway, we, we forgot the line. We are kind of very overwhelmed. We are not, you know, sure what, you know, what lines I have missed and what Jesus was getting out of the stage. And so, so we wonder, at the moment, who do we need? <laughs> A person who may say, say it. And that was the line. <laughs> I, this is act two, act two. <laughs> this is act two. 
We need a witness who can remind us of what God's uh, you know, plan is. And we, uh, also, we need a witness who may remind that Jesus is now on the stage. It doesn't mean that Jesus is gone forever. No. Jesus is behind the stage, or probably Jesus is at uh, the AV booth <laughs> laying his hands on, in, on the light switch or like, you know, the audio switch saying, oh, yeah, say you go ahead. You know, that's what I told you. And the witnesses help us to know that God is still in control, and we are in God's story, even though God is not on the stage with us. Then we should realize that we are also actors, and we are also called to be witnesses to one another. And we also know we are still in the right, we are still right in the middle of God's action. Still in the middle of God's action. And as uh, N.T. Wright says, this is not an ending, but a new beginning. And we know that Christ will come back to the stage when Act 3 begins the way he left this stage. And we will join uh, his Act 3 together as actors and witnesses. Friends, do you have such witnesses in your life? And I want to close my sermon with my testimony saying that I have witnesses. While writing uh, this sermon, I reflected on my time, the journey from Taylor City to Burlington to Southeast Raleigh, and about uh, the time to come that I will have uh, in Cary. And I realized probably I was like the woman, a person who was grieving at the tomb while not knowing Christ Jesus would be rising up again. And I also wonder, probably I was also like an apostle who was looking into an empty sky. What's next? What's my next appointment? <laughs> What's my next church? And what is God's plan for me? Yes, I have witnesses, but I'm saying I could not get out of the tomb. I could not get out of the hill by myself unless I had witnesses. So I'm going to share who, my, who, uh, who were my witnesses. Um, my mom. The last year, even though last Sunday was Mother's Day, but when I was in Burlington, it was such a hard uh, to, to lead or do my ministries uh, there because right after arriving there, I knew that the church decided to leave the UMC. They decided to disaffiliate from the UMC because of their different understanding of how we welcome all people, regardless of who they uh, are. But they didn't agree with us. They didn't agree with me. But I tried to do my best to restore the church, uh, speaking the truth, and fighting against the misinformation and disinformation, but it was so hard. I didn't have many witnesses at the church, but I had many haters <laughs> and accusers showing up. <laughs> 
I was preaching one day, and there was a, the woman, um, the female church member who was in her like 60s or something, who was very well respected from a lot of church members at the church. She just stood up and left the sanctuary uh, as a way of protesting against me and authority the church has given me. And she did it two times. And one day we had a kind of whole church meeting, and after the meeting, she showed up, and she came to me saying, you are a false teacher. You should, you should leave here as soon as possible. And I was literally uh, verbally abused and attacked at the church. I even heard, like, you shut up. And some people spreading um, some rumors about me, making a story about who I am. And they talked about um, who I was not and who I am. And it was like an interesting season, they spreading the false rumor. It was so hard. The problem is that the church's parsonage was right next to the church. Just 10 feet. You can just walk to the church in a minute. And it was a really, really uh, challenging season. I could not sleep well. These 36 years old, six foot uh, two, <laughs> I could not sleep well. Because whenever I, I slept, it seemed like a snake was getting into my bed under the blanket. I knew it was not real, but it was really like, you know, it was really <laughs> it was looking real. I could not sleep. I had to go to the couch and slept there for about like three hours until I realized that it was not real, and I went back. I had such a time, like six months or something like that. And then my mom called me. I told her one day everything that I was uh, going through, because sometimes you do not want to share a lot with your parents, not to make them concerned about you. But she told me, can I be there with you? Can I go to the States and stay with you? Actually, she asked the questions many times over the four years uh, after I started working here as a pastor. But I all the time told her, Mom, I'm okay. Now I can just stand it by myself. But last year, I could not say no. Mom, please come and please be with me. And she came here a uh, day after Christmas the worst Christmas I have ever had. She stayed with me, and she fed me. I could not get in and take my eyes off the church. I could not stop looking for a living life among the dead. But my mom told me, why are you looking into the tomb? Why are you looking for life among the dead? My mom, literally, she was my witness. She was my angel. And she was with me. Then I heard that I would be appointed to um, Southeast Rally Table. I met Lisa for the first time, I think last October or something, when we had a um, like training session for pastors at the conference building. I didn't know like, I would be um, ending up here, but Whenever I met somebody at the time, I poured out my you know, feelings, I shared my thoughts and how, you know, how hard the season I was going through. I just kind of talked to, every, uh, talked to Lisa about everything I had to go through. 
And I didn't know that Lisa was seriously uh, hearing that. And then later I found that I'd be appointed here, and I came here. And the first Sunday I remember, we had a baptismal renewal service. And the message was um, about Isaiah. Do not um, look back, do not dwell in the past, but look forward and see uh, how I'm making new heavens and new earth. It was very meaningful for me, especially as um, Asian diaspora. I came here to the States, flying over or you know, going through the waters and the skies. But when I first came here, when I had the service, um, remembering and renewing my baptismal covenant and listening to Lisa's the message, I definitely knew that God is making something new here. And Elisa and you have been my witnesses. You have told me all the time, saying, you are beloved here. You are home here. You are enough here. You belong to here. You do not need to discount yourself, but you may be authentic as you are. You are enough here. You have been my witnesses, my brothers and sisters, my friends. You have been my witnesses. And interestingly, one of our core values is show up. I know your, your search You'll never show up as haters or accusers. <laughs> I know you will always show up as witnesses. Whenever I, um, whenever I let my parents go, like whenever I drop them off at an international airport, like either in Atlanta or in the DC, it's just such a hard time to let them go. I literally, like even after my parents enter the gates, I just stand. <laughs> until they disappear from my sight. And if, even after I walk out, out, outside, uh, out, out of the airport, when, or even when I'm driving, I just kind of spot every single airplane taking off, wondering if it is my mom's, if my parents are in the airplane. But this time, when my mother left for Korea, returned to Korea, uh, at the end of February, it was not different. It took about six hours to come back from uh, the DC, but I didn't cry. I didn't cry because I know now I am on act two. Whether my mom is with me, I am on act two, and God is just sitting and seeing me. God is still in control. And I have witnesses around me. I have witnesses around me. <laughs> Interestingly, I'm moving to Genesis UMC in Cary. I'm very excited about it because that is just five minutes away from H Mart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but not just because of it. That church was almost about to disaffiliate from the UMC last year, but thankfully, uh, the church, uh, the leaders' team decided to stay. But the pastor, the current pastor, was uh, trying to lead in the church to leave the UMC. Um, it was such hard for them because he was there for about 15 years. When I look back my journey again, and I feel like God may call me to be there as a witness. Whether you are at a low point of your life, whether you are at a high point of life in which you may not see how widely, broadly God may be working. God may call somebody to be your witness. In that same way, God may call me to be there as God's witness. How I know? Because you have demonstrated for me as my witnesses. So keep showing up as witnesses, sir. Amen.